Hi, we've got three stories from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about four up-and-coming batteries that could overtake lithium-ion, how microsleep happens without you even knowing it, and what you're getting wrong about CRISPR gene editing technology, and how to get smart about it with a little help from Minu Prabhune of Synthigo. Let's satisfy some curiosity on the award-winning Curiosity Daily. What do you know about lithium-ion batteries? They power your phone, your laptop, and pretty much any rechargeable device you own. But that might not be for long, because experts are scrambling to find a safer, more efficient, and less expensive substance to power our gadgets. That's why instead of just telling you how lithium-ion batteries work, today I'll tell you about four up-and-coming batteries that could overtake lithium-ion. But let's start with some battery basics. Every chemical battery is made up of the same parts. That includes two electrodes called the cathode and the anode, and some sort of electrolyte. Charged particles called ions travel through the electrolyte to go between those two electrodes. In a lithium ion battery, the cathode is made of a compound that has lithium in it, like lithium cobalt oxide or lithium iron phosphate. The anode is made of carbon or graphite, and the electrolyte varies depending on what type of battery you're talking about. Lithium ion batteries are great because they don't take up a lot of space, they can charge and recharge lots of times without wearing out, and they have a high energy density, which means they can store a lot of energy compared to how small the actual battery is. But lithium ion batteries also expand more than other batteries when they warm up, which can break your favorite phone or tablet. The demand for lithium is also so high that the price doubled between 2016 and 2018. So here are four batteries you might be hearing about soon. Sodium, fluoride, magnesium, and ammonia. Sodium is easy to find. I mean, it's in seawater. But sodium is a larger ion than lithium, so it won't fit between the carbon layers of a graphite-based anode. Fortunately, phosphorus does a bang-up job of subbing in for graphite in the anode of a sodium battery, and it even has seven times the charge capacity of graphite by weight. Fluoride batteries have the potential to last eight times longer than lithium batteries, but fluoride is reactive and hard to stabilize. In December, a research team announced that they'd come up with a liquid electrolyte that could stabilize fluoride and make it usable at room temperature, so there's some hope there. Magnesium is more stable and more common than lithium, but it just can't compete for storage capacity. Although in December, researchers came up with some ways to boost the capacity, so we'll see. And ammonia-powered batteries are a long way off, but recent breakthroughs could make it viable in the future and hopefully we'll be able to produce ammonia in a renewable, carbon-free way. There's your Battery 101. Keep an eye out, and who knows what the future has in store. Have you ever heard of micro-sleep? It's exactly what it sounds like. Micro-sleep is a tiny sleep. Although, to put it more precisely, it's a several-second episode of unconsciousness. And get this, you don't always notice when it happens. Try to stay awake for this. First off, being asleep and being awake are not all-or-nothing propositions. Part of your brain can stay awake while you're asleep, like if you're sleeping in unfamiliar surroundings. And part of your brain can fall asleep while you're awake, if you're, say, pulling an all-nighter. When you're beyond sleepy, though, you can lose consciousness for a few seconds, and that's called microsleep. This happens most often in a sleep-deprived brain when you're doing something monotonous, like driving or listening to a lecture or watching a movie. Sometimes when this happens, you know it because you feel your chin falling to your chest and that jerks you awake. But a lot of times, you don't have the faintest idea you microslept at all. That's according to Professor Jim Horn, the director of Loughborough University's Sleep Research Center. He says, quote, 
Sleep has to last beyond a minute or two for your brain to remember it, unquote. And you don't have to be that tired for microsleep to kick in. In a 2014 study, researchers had well-rested participants do a repetitive task on a computer monitor with a joystick for just under an hour. The participants said they stayed awake the whole time, but they actually, in reality, experienced an average of 79 microsleep episodes during that hour, lasting up to 6 seconds each. That's probably because during microsleep, it's not your whole brain that loses consciousness. It's often just a single region or even a handful of neurons. The moral of the story, by the way, is that you should not get behind the wheel if you're very sleepy. Get your rest. And go back and listen to this story again if you drifted off while I was talking. So rude. Ashley, wake up. <laughs> Have you heard about CRISPR? It's a technology that's being used to permanently modify DNA in living organisms. And one day, we might even use it to treat genetic diseases in humans. CRISPR is a hot topic in the science world. But with all the clickbait headlines and misinformation out there, sometimes it's hard to know what's real and what's fiction. So what are its limits? Ashley and I got some answers in our conversation with Kevin Bryant and Minu Prabune. They're science communicators at Synthigo, which is a leading provider of genome engineering solutions. The Synthigo blog and podcast are doing a really great job of teaching people about this new technology. But Kevin and Minu agreed that not everyone is taking away the right lessons from their genome editing education. So how can you become a CRISPR connoisseur? Here's what Minu told us. CRISPR does have great potential and as you mentioned, people are obviously excited about anything that they think would improve their lives. But at the same time, not everyone realizes at what speed the technology is actually progressing, right? So even though we have had major progress in the past few years, it does not directly mean that a potential to cure diseases directly doesn't translate to curing diseases tomorrow. So in some sense, I think there needs to be better communication with the public just to set the expectations of, you know, hype versus reality in both directions. So there are both sides where we often get a lot of responses in from both directions for any of our blog posts where people are either extremely skeptical that you are going to bring about the end of this world with CRISPR or they are like extremely positive that, you know, CRISPR is just going to cure everything and make us immortal or, you know, extremely... Uh, extreme versions of positives or negatives. And I think good education about what this technology is, what its pros are, what the caveats are, what we are working through is very essential for clarifying these uh, expectations or rather setting these expectations, which is why actually we are doing our podcast, CRISPR Cuts, or uh, even our blog. So one of our aims is, of, of course, to educate the audience who's not as familiar with CRISPR as scientists are uh, to basically inform them about what the current regulations are, what the state of the art technology, where it is, where it has reached, what they can expect in the next few years and so on. So there you go. CRISPR is not the solution to all of humanity's problems, and it is also not going to be the end of the human race, at least for right now. We'll put a link to learn more about Synthego. That's S-Y-N-T-H-E-G-O in today's show notes. Their blog and their CRISPR Cuts podcast are both really great places to learn more about what's actually happening with genome editing. So check it out if you're curious about CRISPR. And next week, we'll be posting a brand new full-length Curiosity podcast episode featuring Synthigo for our supporters on Patreon. Today's ad-free episode was brought to you by our patrons. Special thanks to Brianna Webster, Ryan Day, Montecito One, Kim Braun, Dave Broshinsky, and Emily for your support on Patreon. We really appreciate it. 
to learn more about how you can support Curiosity Daily and how to get access to our feature-length Patreon-exclusive podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.